0: Shut up. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to K Voice of Resistance. I'm your host, Kelly. Resist deregulation is all the rage these days. Regulations are blamed for everything from economic inequality to the financial crisis. And while not all regulations are the kind we want to keep around, for example, Prohibition or, I don't know, most of all of Hitler's regulations, the majority, at least in a developed country like ours, are ones we want. The Voting Rights Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Clean Air Act, and so on. All these are good regulations that we want. More than that that we need. What would deregulation look like? What would it be if we accomplished the libertarian smut film of P super, acid rain, and a white man's paradise? Well, we'd wake up in the morning and pour ourselves a tall glass of lead-filled water. Oh, that brown color? Don't worry, it tastes the same. If you close your eyes, we would pull from the fridge some sausage for our breakfast. When cooking, we burn it on purpose. Because there are no longer regulations in the meat packing industry, and just as they did until 1905 when Roosevelt signed the Meat Inspection Act, just one of many atrocities in the industrial meatpacking industry where rotted meat was often doctored up and sold as sausage mm Gives it that tangy zest. We wonder where our kids or our nieces and nephews aren't getting up and ready for school. But then we remember they no longer go to school. Without a minimum wage, our 60 to 85 hour work week is not enough to make rent. So the kids now work in the factory. Already exhausted, we stumble into the street and the air-laden smog catches at our chest. It's been years since the 1970s Clean Air Act was repealed, and it is amazing how fast the cars and industry belched out enough smog to kill small animals in their tracks. Idly, we wonder how long it's been since we've seen a migrating bird. Since we did away with regulations, there are no more protections, and with the pollution, they have migrated to Europe and South America to stay. Even longer yet has been the repeal of the mercury and air toxic standards regulation that coincided with a 30% coal plant retirement in 2015. Now, cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death worldwide, has gone up ever since. We get in our new-ish car and cross our fingers that we don't get in a wreck. Since the repeal of the seat belt regulation, our car manufacturers don't bother to put them in. We are heading to work earlier than normal, as half the workforce is out. Since Nixon's 1970s United States Occupational Safety and Health Administration was signed into law, which reduced workplace fatalities by 62%, was repealed. There has been an epidemic of illness due to employees in restaurants not washing their hands, among other things we would rather not imagine. At work, they have to let you in the building, because they lock the doors so that you do not have privileges of going in and out at will. They do this to make sure you don't leave early or steal. While we worry about what we will do in a fire without safety standards, we know management is not worried. After all, they have insurance. We make sure to go to the bathroom before entering. There are no bathroom breaks outside of our half hour lunch and the restrooms are outside. Inside, the boss has his hand in the girl who works next to you's shirt. She's gritting her teeth but muddling through. The boss is allowed to harass at will with no workers or human rights protections. Were we to step in, it would only make matters worse. So for the seventh day in a row, we put our head down and we get to work. There are hours to go and long gone are the days of unemployment should we get fired. Our cracked fingers know the drill. And somewhere in us, something once again dies, just a little bit more. This is the utopia the right fought so hard for, and at last they have won. Funny how it doesn't quite feel like winning at all. Just over a hundred years ago, this is how things were, or close to it. The Progressive Era was on the rise, but the Gilded Age was in its death throes and fighting to hold on. In New York City, immigrants poured in and set to work in sweatshops. And once these shops were in small apartments, they eventually moved into large multi-floored lofts, which packed in hundreds at a time. One of these factories was located on the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building at 23-29 to 29 Washington Place in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of Manhattan, known as the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. The shirtwaist makers could be as young as 14 years old. They worked seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., though these times varied. They worked nonstop with just a half-hour lunch break. For their efforts, they were paid 6 to $14 a week. Again, these figures vary. Not only were their wages abysmal, often they were required to use their own needles, thread, irons, and even sometimes sewing machines. The factories were unsanitary not to mention unsafe. According to the AFL-CIO, a 100 workers died every day on the job around 1911 at various sweatshops. Workers had little to no rights, but a battle for them was beginning. In 1909, as factory owners were pushing for longer hours with less pay, on November 22nd, local 25 of the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union, ILGWU, headed up by 19-year-old Clara Lemlich, convened a meeting to discuss a general strike. Thousands of workers packed the hall. Clara was no stranger to adversity. A few months earlier, hired thugs had beaten her savagely for her union involvement, breaking ribs. At the meeting, man after man got up to speak, mostly warning people off of a strike. Finally, the star speaker of the evening got up to speak, American Federation of Labor President Samuel Gompers, and the crowd cheered wildly. After tired of hearing speakers for more than two hours, Clara made her way to the stage, shouting, quote, I want to say a few words. She said this in Yiddish. When she got to the podium, she continued, I have no further patience for talk. I am one of those who feels and suffers from the things pictured. I move that we go on general strike now. Unquote. The audience rose to their feet and cheered and then voted for a strike. The next day, 15,000 migrant workers walked out and took to the streets. This is from the AFL-CIO website. Quote, they demanded a 20% pay raise, a 52-hour work week with extra pay for overtime. The local union, along with the Women's Trade Union League, held meetings in English and Yiddish at dozens of halls to discuss plans for picketing. When picketing began the following day, more than 20,000 workers from 500 factories had walked out. More than 70 of the smaller factories agreed to the union's demands within the first 48 hours, unquote. The anti-union owners of the bigger factories got together and promised everything from violence to legal action to thwart the strike. They had the cops and the judges on their side. One judge, while sentencing a picketer for, quote-unquote, incitement, explained, quote, whose law is that man shall earn bread by the sweat of his brow. You are on strike against God. Shut up! Unquote. What an asshole. Their struggle caught the attention of the wealthy progressive women fighting for a woman's right to vote. The coalition of the wealthy suffragettes and the shirtwaist strikers quickly gained momentum and favorable publicity. 15,000 shirtwaist makers in Philadelphia went on strike and even replacement workers to the Triangle factory joined the strike, shutting it down. The factories had lost the war on public opinion, and one by one gave in to strikers' demands. In February 1910, the strike finally was settled. There were a few holdouts, however. One of those was Triangle. Owners and management never yielded to their demands, including the simple demands of unlocked doors in the factory and fire escapes that functioned. A year later, at approximately 4.40 p.m. on Saturday, March twenty fifth, 1911, A fire broke out in one of the scrap bins, likely due to an unextinguished match or cigarette on the top floors of the building. A bookkeeper on the 8th floor was able to warn employees on the 10th floor via telephone, but there was no audible alarm and no way to contact the staff on the ninth floor. It wasn't until the fire reached the ninth floor that they were warned. The floor had a number of exits, including two freight elevators, a fire escape, and stairways down to Green Street and Washington Place. The flames prevented workers from descending the Green Street stairway, and the door to Washington Place stairway was locked to prevent theft by the workers, and the locked doors allowed managers to check the women's purses. The foreman, who held the doorway door key, had already escaped by another route, and within three minutes, The Green Street Stairway became unusable in both directions. Terrified, the employees crowded onto the single exterior fire escape, which city officials had allowed Ash to erect instead of the required third staircase a flimsy and poorly anchored iron structure that may have been broken before the fire. It soon twisted and collapsed from the heat and overload, spilling about 20 victims nearly 100 feet to their deaths on the concrete pavement below. Elevator operator Joseph Zito and Gaspar Mortilalo saved many lives by traveling three times up to the ninth floor for passengers. But Mortellalo was eventually forced to give up when the rails of his elevator buckled under the heat. In the ensuing panic, girls and a few men rushed the elevator to get down. The smoke filled the floors and people began flinging themselves onto the elevator shaft and bodies piled up on top of the elevator. Eventually, firefighters arrived, but in a devastating revelation, Soon found that their ladders were 30 feet too short and only reached to the sixth floor. A large crowd of bystanders gathered on the street witnessing 62 people jumping, falling to their deaths from a burning building. William Gunn Shepherd, a reporter at the tragedy, would say that, quote, I learned a new sound that day, a sound more horrible than description can picture, the thud of a speeding living body on a stone sidewalk. Unquote. All in all, although early references of the death toll range from 14 to 148, almost all modern references agree that 146 people died as a result of the fire, 123 women and girls, and 23 men. And as our country has always bowed down to the quote-unquote job makers, there was no justice in this case. This is from Wikipedia, quote, The company's owners, Max Blank and Isaac Harris, who survived the fire by fleeing to the building's roof when the fire began, were indicted on charges of first and second degree manslaughter in mid-April. The pair's trial began on December 4th, 1911. Max Stewart, the counsel for the defendants, managed to destroy the credibility of one of the survivors, Kate Alterman, by asking her to repeat her testimony a number of times, which she did without altering key phrases. Stewart argued that the jury and altermen, and possibly other witnesses had memorized their statements and might even have been told what to say by the prosecutors. The prosecution charged that the owners knew that the exit doors were locked was at the same time in question. The investigation found that locks were intended to be locked during working hours based on the findings from the fire, but the defense stressed that the prosecution failed to prove that the owners knew that. The jury acquitted the two men of first-degree and second-degree manslaughter, but they were found liable of wrongful death during a subsequent civil suit in 1913, in which plaintiffs were awarded compensation in the amount of $75 per deceased victim. The insurance company had paid Blank and Harris about $60,000 more than the reported losses, or about $400 per casualty in 1913. Later, in 1913, Blank was once again arrested for locking the door to his factory during working hours, and he was fined a whole $20, which was the minimum amount the fine could be. A week after the fire, a meeting was held at the Metropolitan Opera House to demand action on fire safety, and people of all backgrounds packed the hall. A few days later, more than 350,000 people participated in the funeral march for the Triangle Dead. The AFL-CIO said, quote, Three months later, after pressure from activists, New York's governor signed a law creating a factory investigating commission, which had unprecedented powers. The commission investigated nearly 2,000 factories in dozens of industries, and with the help of such workers' rights advocates as Francis Perkins, enacted eight laws covering fire safety, factory inspection, sanitation, and employment rules for women and children. The following year, they pushed for 25 more laws, entirely rewriting New York's labor laws and creating a state department of labor to enforce the laws. During the Roosevelt administration, Francis Perkins and Robert Wenger, who chaired the commission, helped create the nation's most sweeping worker protections through the New Deal, including the National Labor Relations Act. Clara Lemlich became a full-time activist after being blacklisted by the Garment Industry Association and founded a working-class suffrage group. She later organized mothers around housing and education issues. Even in her last days at a nursing home, Clara helped to organize the orderlies, unquote. In 2017, Mango Hitler claimed he would do away with 75% of the United States' regulations. Now rest assured, had he done that, we would be wading through toxic sewage to get to work, and all of our water would look like flints. But he has made major headway. I looked up a regulation tracker that monitors a curated section of deregulatory activity developed by experts in the Center of Regulation and Markets at Brookings. Here are the regulations he has repealed. Clean Power Plant. A rule requiring coal-burning power plants to reduce carbon emissions. Non-discrimination provisions in the Affordable Care Act a rule abolishing expansive definitions of non-discrimination provisions in the affordable care act endangered species act mitigation policy this is a withdrawal of guidance on how the service recommends mitigating adverse impacts on developer actions on species and habitats withdrawal of guidance encouraging affirmative actions because you know who needs equality Greenhouse gas emissions measure. A rule requiring the State Department of Transportation to track and reduce carbon dioxide emissions on the national highway system. Because knowledge is definitely not power, I guess. State funding for abortion providers. Nullification of a rule preventing states from blocking funding for family planning clinics that also provide abortion. Screw those ladies. Dealer markups guidance. Nullification of guidance prohibiting car dealers from charging higher interest rates based on race. Once again... Who needs equality? Net neutrality. A rule regulating internet service providers as common carriers under Title II of the Communications Act of 1934. Rural call completion. Data reporting requirement. A rule requiring covered providers of long-distance voice service to record and retain data on call completion rates in rural areas. Because Trump is there for his people who live in rural areas. That being said, screw him, right? Organic livestock and poultry practices, animal welfare rule. A rule requiring the humane treatment of certified organic animals. Because why do we want to treat animals humanely? Media cross-ownership ban. Repeal of rules prohibiting a single company from owning a newspaper, a television, and radio stations all of its own. Because monopolies in news are fun. Oil and gas fracking rule. A rule requiring disclosure of chemicals and other details of fracking operations. Enjoyed your earthquake lately? Interpretation of incidental take under the migratory bird treaty act. Withdrawal a policy of prosecuting energy companies that accidentally kill birds. So, you know, kill at will, boys. Main studio rule in elimination. The repeal of a rule requiring TV and radio stations to maintain a main studio in or near the communities they serve. So, Russia, come on in. Enjoy your new news station. Arbitration rule. Nullification of a rule allowing class action lawsuits against banks and credit card companies to resolve financial disputes. So... People power is not the kind of power we want here. Clearly, the only power that matters is power to the banks. Farmer Fair Practice Rule. Scope of anti-competitive practices. A rule clarifying that certain conduct by meat packers and poultry dealers may violate the Packers and Stockyards Act without necessarily being anti-competitive. Disclosure payments by resource extraction issuers. Nullification of environmental rule requiring resource extraction issuers to disclose information about payments made to the U.S. government or foreign governments for the purposes of commercial development of oil, natural gas, or minerals. Drug test for unemployment compensation. Nullification of a rule permitting states to conduct drug tests for unemployment compensation eligibility. Federal Acquisition Regulation, Fair Pay and Safe Workplaces. Nullification of a rule to improve federal contractor compliance with labor laws. These people are truly evil. Firearms prohibition for the mentally disabled. Nullification of a rule prohibiting the possession of firearms by the mentally ill. An internet privacy rule. Nullification of a rule requiring internet service providers to explicitly obtain customers' approval to use and share their information. Because... Me information as Sue information. Mandatory bundled payments for cardiac oil care, and, and gas, gas and police value. A rule making bundling payments for certain uh, cardiac and joint replacement A rule that expanded reporting requirement for interactions yeah. between <laughs> labor relations, predator, and a for national wildlife refugees in Alaska. You know, I think this is the you can shoot hibernating bears. Nullification of a rule enhancing efficiency and transparency of a resource management plan. Nullification of public a rule plans. that state governments to establish. Retirement savings programs for private sector employees. school accountability yes. rule, nullification of a rule enhancing public school accountability. Come the f- on, guys. Feeble supplementary services. A corporate average fuel economy. It will eliminate the requirement that digital model television providers to do not offer ancillary or supplementary services to file an annual report with the FCC. Stream Protection Rule Notification of a Rule to Minimize the Adverse Effects of Coal Mining on Streams and Other Water sources. Seriously, these guys are cartoonishly evil Teacher Preparation Issues Notification of a Rule Defining how Institutions of Higher Education Must Assess Teacher Preparation Programs Withdrawal of Technical Support Documents on Implementing the Social Cost of Carbon and Regulatory Impact Analysis And finally, Title IX Guidances on Transgender Student Rights Withdrawal of Guidances Concerning Transgender Student Rights. We think we can cut regulations by 75%, maybe more. And I am not going to torture you with the long list of rules that they have made. These rules work just like deregulations, such as what was maybe their first rule ever, which was a rule shortening the open enrollment period for the 2018 Obamacare exchanges from three months to 1.5 months to one and a half months. Remember that? Or more recently, an arbitration rule which works as a nullification of a rule allowing class-action lawsuits against banks and credit card companies to resolve financial disputes. Once again, choosing banks over people. If Herr Trump gets reelected and we don't take the Senate, then Trump will have achieved Bannon's wet dream of just about complete and total dismantling of the administrative state. And I don't know if we will ever be able to put it back together again. Because there won't be a state to put it back together with. Maybe more. And we'll lose the courts as well. Yes, I'm a broken record about this, but... God, it's important. The turtle will continue his mass overhaul of the judiciary. and We can say goodbye to our country and our human rights, or at least most our human rights as we know it. Which is why I will lay down in front of that damn motorcade myself if I have to. Which is why the way CNN ran the damn debates was so disgusting. It is like the media wants Trump to win. CNN had no interest in a discussion about the issues. No, they just wanted a fight. They just mean-girled it up. So-and-so said this about you. Aren't you pissed? What do you want me to say to her? Ugh, it is shameful. And MSNBC's quote-unquote analysis of it was equally shameful, but, but no need to get into that. I know opinions will differ on all of this, but I wish we could have just had an honest discussion of ideas instead of a real housewives fight. There really weren't any winners. I mean, there, there were winners, but the winners were just the ones who limped off the stage with a few limbs intact. I don't know. All I have to say is that I hope we can limp across the finish line intact enough to still have a fighting chance against Mango Hitler in the end. And for now, that's all I have to say about that. Na-na-na-boo-boo, stick your head in doo-doo. Next. Lowering the bar. Let's talk about death. Trump's attorney general, William Barr, ordered the restatement of the federal death penalty because, you know, progress? Jezebel writes, quote, after a 20-year informal moratorium on executing people who have received the death penalty in the federal court system, the Department of Justice announced that the Trump administration will resume the state practice of killing people. And per the order of Attorney General William Barr, the Bureau of Prisons is preparing to execute five people on death row. Never mind the fact that drug companies won't even provide the drugs to perform this draconian and cruel ritual. Never mind the fact that conservatively more than 4% of inmates sentenced to death in the U.S. are innocent. One study found that of the 7,482 death sentences handed down from 1973 to 2004, 317 of them were innocent. That was from the Huffington Post. Never mind the fact that crime data from 11 countries which have abolished capital punishment showed that murder rates actually declined in 10 of them over the following decade according to a 2008 report from a group that studies human rights in Iran. Never mind the fact that a Pearson and Radlett, Louisiana law review piece, they found that racism determines your likelihood of being handed down the death penalty in the first place. For example, in Louisiana, the odds of a death sentence were 97% higher for those whose victim was white than for those whose victim was black. Also, Although 46.7% of all homicide victims are black, only 13.9% of those victims of executed defendants are black. And never mind the fact that as the Palm Beach Post reported in 2000, it is fucking expensive. For example, in Florida, it cost $51 million a year above what it would cost to punish all first-degree murders with life in prison. Without parole. (laughs) And never mind the fact that socioeconomic status plays a disproportionate role in deciding life and death. In examining 504 cases... A study in Law and Society Review 807 found that defendants were six times more likely to receive a death sentence if they kill the highest status victims. Whites or Hispanics who have college degrees are married and have no criminal record, compared to those defendants who kill lowest status victims, like Black or Asian victims who are single with a prior criminal record and no college degree. Also, the better counsel someone can afford for his own defense, the better his defense. Because, duh. And this cursory summary of facts doesn't begin to cover the cruel injustice of this policy. You want to really get mad? Look into the abject, barbaric cruelty of the actual process we go through when killing someone. In the best of times, it is cruel. Now, without the appropriate medications, it is abject torture. Welcome to the Dark Ages, my friends. We have arrived. Quote, People say that executing criminals does not take away from their dignity if it is done with dignity. But the fact of the matter is that whether you are waiting to die by a lethal injection, waiting for the poison to flow down your veins, or waiting for a bullet, or waiting for a rope, or waiting for gas, or waiting for electric current, there is no difference. There is no lesser or greater dignity in dying. And by the time people i have been with finally climb into the chair to be killed they have died a thousand times already because of their anticipation of the final horror "Hélène Prigent author of the book Dead Man Walking an eyewitness account of the death penalty in the United States all right guys Thank you for sticking with me and this episode of K Voice of Resistance. You can stream or download this show at crabdiving.com under the K Voice tab or on your favorite podcasting app. Follow me on Facebook at K Voice of Resistance and on Twitter at Kelly the Voice. Be sure to check out the Crab Diving Podcast with hosts Patrick Vile and comedian Ryan Pfeiffer, two hours a day, Monday through Friday, if you want a rundown of the headlines and the news that you may be missing. All right. Take care of yourselves out there. And as always, resist. Resist! Trump is being a jerk. Trump is being a jerk. He's a bastard, a dumb face. Trump is being a jerk. Bye-bye!